Hi, and welcome to Total Rewind, the Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. If you're watching, you probably have a good idea by now. Go ahead and say something and let us know uh, what's on your shirt. We are going to be talking about, well, most people's favorite superhero, Batman. You are not wrong. I think Batman actually is my favorite superhero. I love all the movies. They've all been great. I even used to watch the old the Adam uh, West. Series. Adam West. Yeah, I yeah. used to watch that series. Like Batman is amazing. He's such a tragic hero, but also he has all the cool gadgets. He's a billionaire and he does the right thing. That makes a good hero. So <laughs> obviously a new Batman film coming out. So we thought what a great opportunity to go back to the beginning. And we're going to be talking about on this week's podcast, the 1989 Tim Burton film, Batman. It's a movie Michael about Keaton, Batman, if you didn't know. Jack that. Nicholson. I mean, it's all around. It's amazing. Kim Basinger. It's just great. First of all, I want, I did want to give a shout out at the top of the episode to a couple of my friends who are uh, big Batman fans. And that's uh, Anthony Torres and Mike Leonard. Both love Batman. If you guys are watching this and you have any comments or you think Christian and I don't know what we're talking about, uh, let us know. But we, I think we do here. <laughs> Honestly, it's funny because this movie is actually a movie that came out in my childhood. You said 1989, right? I'm born in 87. So I grew up with this movie, watching this movie. It's weird now watching it again as an adult. And I watch it all the time. But now watching it critically as a podcast host. <laughs> It's, it's interesting to me, the level of darkness, especially associated with the Joker here. As a kid, you know, I, I looked at the Joker and thought he was funny. He has that thing and punches the TV and he has the crazy laugh and like his teeth come out. Paints on paintings. and Yeah, right? Yeah. Like he was kind of like funny. But the number one takeaway I had watching it critically this time around was... This guy is a murdering psychopath, yeah. total anarchist. Even though I think obviously it's hard not to watch this movie and now think of Heath Ledger's version of the Joker versus Jack Nicholson's version of the Joker. But all the elements are there. I mean, he kills his own people. He plays games with everyone. You know, like the instance where he like gasses the city. He tells everybody he's going to give away money when he's really just, you know, screwing with them. All those twisted elements of his character, they're all present. I mean, Jack Nicholson's Joker is like quite terrifying. Because it's dressed up in this uh, comedic fanfare, you know, going around listening to Prince music and stuff. I think that on a first viewing, it's not quite so apparent. Yeah, I don't know how many people he kills in this movie, but it's a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, he gasses a city. He gasses the art gallery. He shoots his number one. He kills the mafia board and he kills uh, what's the main head gangster? What's his name? Carl Grissom. But anyway, he kills him. Technically, his girlfriend like falls out a window. <laughs> that wasn't yeah, actually. Yeah, he said it was an accident. But I mean, how <laughs> trustworthy is he? I don't know. I mean, he tries to kill other people. He uses the cosmetics to kill random people in Gotham. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, like this guy is on a murder spree. And that I just I never really thought of it like that. But yeah, he's got to go. I mean, can't have this guy running around. This is just crazy. I think what's different about their characters, and I guess if we're talking about it, you know, just comparing Heath Ledger's and Jack Nicholson's, you know, the difference is here in Batman, Jack Nicholson has a bit of an origin story as Jack Napier. Yeah. Uh, he has the girlfriend. He has a number one. He kind of has these certain humanistic elements, right? He's after the girl. But we see his life also before he becomes the Joker as an underboss, as a street criminal. 
we know that he was a man before he totally became a, a monster, which with Ledger, you never see that. There's no understanding of his backstory. He seems to have no personal connection. Even when he you know, lets us into his backstory, he lies because he gives conflicting accounts. And then there's the relationship to Batman directly where yep. Heath Ledger's, his reasoning for wanting to mess around with Batman, I think he actually says in the film is like, you're just too much fun. I just want to mess around with you. You're my conduit to do all this anarchy where if you go to Batman, he does have that connection, right? Once I think he says, uh, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Batman puts together that Jack Napier was responsible for, you know, his tragic backstory. And then mm-hmm. the Joker conversely blames Batman for dropping him in the vat of acid. They have a history where in the dark Knight, I mean, they're really, it's just like one guy against an anarchist. Yeah. And here it's much more personal. Yeah, I mean, I think it still works really, really well. All, all the elements are there. He has the crazy laugh. And I thought Jack Nicholson knocked it out of the park. I mean, I, I remember, you know, it's, it's funny thinking about that now. I remember when they were talking about bringing the Joker back, people were like, you shouldn't touch it because of Jack Nicholson's performance. And then Heath Ledger got cast and everybody like blew their lid. They were like, how? How is this going to happen? Yeah. And then they knocked it out of the park. It's yeah. crazy. And I mean, from Jack Nicholson as an actor standpoint, he really not not only did he kill it on the screen, but the terms of the contract that he signed with Warner Brothers. Apparently, I think it's I was still reading, like one of the best deals ever. I heard he made close to $90 million off of it. That's crazy. Because he got the tie in with all the merchandising. He's got, you know, points on the film. He got top billing. He negotiated all this stuff. And they, he made sure that they let him out to go watch Laker game. I know. And not only that, I mean, let's let's face it. Jack Nicholson has a legendary Hollywood career as an actor. I would bet that over time, you know, we're in 2022 now. The Joker performance by him has to be at the top of a lot of people's lists of Jack Nicholson performances. It's one of the ones that's lasted the test of time. And he has, I mean, he has some great ones, but as the Joker, that that one sticks. No, absolutely. While we're on the topic of this okay. slight comparison, because we're not doing a movie remake time here. We're just talking about Batman. But we do have to acknowledge Michael Keaton also as Bruce Wayne Batman. There's been a lot of actors to play Bruce Wayne Batman over the years. And I was curious, first of all, is the 1989 Batman suit best live action Batman suit there is? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Got okay. that whole rubber helmet part that just looks like it's made out of rubber. It is. They rip it off in the <laughs> second one, right? I know there are a lot of fans that were outraged in the 80s when this movie came out because the decision to go all black was very controversial. Now that's essentially the norm of Batman films. I still think that the best costume in a Batman film is the Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Christian Bale, Nolan bat suit. It looks believable in a sense that it's armor. One of my criticisms of when you look at these earlier Batman movies is it's very much you can tell that there's a... It's like a costume. Yeah, there's like, you know, rubber abs and pecs and stuff to it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. Like they're adding that type of definition. I mean, this I didn't know if this would come up on this episode, but I mean, didn't they do rubber nipples for like George Clooney? Uh, I believe in Batman and Robin. Yeah, Batman nipples. (laughs) But I will say this. I mean, it's the logo I have on my shirt. It's the logo that, you know, was released for the film. I do think this is the most iconic Batman symbol. I have to agree. uh, Again, reading about it. Again, this was kind of a controversial thing, I guess people initially saw this and thought that like you were looking down someone's throat with like the teeth and they're like how Wait, is that hold it up yeah batman. okay i kind of see it see yeah it's like an open mouth and i'm like because now this is the batman symbol that many of us understand it to be yeah it's kind of funny that yellow is iconic i remember as a kid
kid back in Indiana, there used to be an overpass in a certain neighborhood where someone had spray painted a giant <laughs> Batman symbol. Yeah, yeah, and I would always ask my mom if we could drive by it. Just <laughs> loved Batman. It's funny too, because a lot of the later iterations of the bat suits, you know, they don't incorporate that yellow. For no. some reason, that yellow sticks with you. Whoever picked that out and made that work, that's also kind of been associated with Batman, that yellow symbol. I do want to give a nod. I mean, what are your opinions? Like, we're talking Batman. Like, the Batflex suit. I actually thought it was really dope. I don't like the short Batman ears. That's always an issue of mine. I get really ticked off when it has the little ears. I like the longer Batman ears. Okay. And so that was my gripe with Batflex. I don't know. I like the big symbol. Generally speaking, I like the way it looked. He was really hulking or a big Batman. And I thought they did a good job with that. But the only one, I think it was, it might, I, the one I didn't care for was like Val Kilmer, George Clooney. They were okay. I think it was more the silliness of the stories that just, I don't know. I associate those suits with that. Like, remember like when they come out and like, they're going to fight Mr. Freeze and they have like silver and like all this stuff. I was like, I don't know. Well, I always <laughs> hate those ones because I have these, these sequences of like Batman putting on the bat suit. Oh yeah. And you're just like, ah, oh, this looks so goofy. Clicks his belt. And then one of them, they like have he's like like around a and like flex. you see his butt cheeks. Yeah, yeah, he does like butt cheeks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, Batman. Seriously, guys. While we're on the subject, I think we need to acknowledge Keaton as other than really like Adam West, this is the first person to kind of take Batman to the big screen. That's quite an undertaking. Doing some research, he was not really anyone's first choice. I think John Peters, the producer kind of suggested him. What's he coming off of here? Beetlejuice? I think that 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 was part of the Mr. Mom, something yeah. like that. He'd done like all those <laughs> 80s movies and he's like, yeah. obviously has a reputation of being a very comedic actor. He is pretty serious here, generally. I think the big takeaway that he brought is something that has influenced really every Batman since then. Talking with Burton, he's like, how come more people don't realize that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Like, come on, if you start putting two and two together, you're going to figure it out eventually. He was the person who decided to make the Batman voice deeper. The graspy growl. growl. Which I pretty much- Every Batman since then has done it. <laughs> no, and then he has the legendary line. Almost, I think, every actor now gets a chance to say at some point, I'm Batman, which is incredible. And that scene right there is such an amazing introduction of Batman. I mean, I know you love it. It's one of your favorite movie scenes, I think. You know, switch gears here for a second. The opening to the movie is just so great to me because obviously we're going to get into some art design, set design in a little bit. It really sets the stage for where we're at. And then you follow this lost couple, which I don't know why this guy would ever go down this alley, but... You know, people do things that don't make sense. Bad decision making all around. I don't want to victim blame, but I'm like, man, you shouldn't have walked down that alley. And why take your family down the sketchy alley? Yeah, I was like, it's just bad news, but it's not your fault. You shouldn't have got robbed down there. I'm just saying maybe next time stick to the streets. But I mean, the streets were pretty rough too. Like no taxis would stop. There's some shady looking characters. I think like like that hooker like talking to the kid. (laughs) So anyway, he goes down the, the alley, gets attacked. And these two thugs basically steal his wallet. You know, they're like, oh, American Express, don't leave home without it. But what really sets the stage here is these guys start talking. One of them's nervous. He's like, hey, man, I think we should get out of here. Like, let's go. Let's, I I don't like it. I don't like it. He's like, what are you talking about? We're fine. And then he's like, I don't know, man. Like, you heard about Jimmy Gobbs? And he's like, Jimmy Gobbs fell off a roof. And he's like, I heard the bat got him. And he's like, the bat? That's just a myth. So they're really setting this scene up. Batman at this point is really lurking in the shadows. He's taking out criminals on rooftops. He's beating them up in alleys. He's not this known Gotham City hero he's just this myth among criminals and the scene is really cool because they do batman shadows his silhouette they have him drop down through the smoke and you know you see the bat symbol he gets shot so we know how much damage batman can take he gets to hold one of the criminals off the ledge and he's like what are you i'm batman 
And then he throws him back. It's just amazing. To this day, I love that entire sequence. Stupid couple, you know, the guy's like, do the kid a favor and don't scream. And then he runs away. And the first thing she does is screams. I was like, <laughs> lady, come on. Yeah, I don't right. think this is going to help. And I don't think people in Gotham City are responding to screams. This seems like a very dark place. It's like the ultimate example of don't get involved. Just living in Gotham. <laughs> yeah. Mind your own business. Where does Keaton stack up in all of this? I mean, obviously, he's a lot of people's number one live action actor to play Batman. There is a huge core of people who I think it's the fact most people, this was the first time they saw Batman on the big screen. I think it's kind of the same thing as with James Bond, right? The first one that you saw is, for most people, their favorite portrayal. Yeah, I could get that. And I love Keaton. I think he's fantastic. You know, he gets a little bit more time to shine, I think, in the second one. Because like you said, because of Jack Nicholson's deal and the way they wrote the script, I mean, it's very Joker heavy. Obviously, the second one, they have multiple villains. You know, Batman has the best villains. It's just amazing. I mean, the Joker's the best of the best. So there's no reason to go go down that rabbit hole. I mean, I think Keaton does a great job. I often hear the debate that people debate who's better Batman, who's better Bruce Wayne. Those two are different. I don't know. He's he's definitely, he's one of my favorite. I think he kills it in both aspects of the role. It's a lot of fun. From a costuming perspective, they said that one of the challenges of turning Michael Keaton into Batman was the fact that he was very average. <laughs> he's kind of average height. <laughs> he's kind of average build. And so to make him this hulking, towering, imposing Batman figure... That was the biggest challenge that they had from a costume perspective because he's not okay. that big of a guy. Yeah, I could see that. And I mean, you can't have like a 5'8 seem, Batman. Yeah, he does know? seem large on screen. He seems very, very imposing. If you notice when he is Bruce Wayne, all his suits seem really big. And I don't know if that was just a style choice, you know, or if that was just intentional to try and make Bruce Wayne seem smaller in comparison to when he becomes Batman. Okay. I don't know. Give it a couple of years. I remember Michael Jordan wearing some really baggy suits back yeah, in the 90s. So but that, that may be it. I don't <laughs> might know. Might have been. So before we actually jump into some more elements associated directly with the filmmaking, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the tie-ins here, because this was kind of a big deal. At this time, people don't remember. Superhero movies were not superhero movies like they are today. Superman. There was Superman, Superman in the 70s, a couple of flop movies in the 80s, but that was really it, you know? Yeah, like comic book movies were not really like a thing. Batman is still part of that early, early kind of first generation adaptations. The second age, which was like X-Men, Spider-Man, The Dark Knight, mm -hmm. Batman Begins. And then there's the MCU era, which we're in now, which is, you know, just totally different. But when you go back, there were a lot of tie-ins with this movie. There was uh, Looney Tunes tied in because of Warner Brothers, a Pepsi tie-in. They did commercials directly, I think, with Alfred and like the, the Batmobile. They had Prince, which was huge. And he has like really big billing at the beginning of the movie when they're like showing the credits and uh, across the logo. At yeah. one point, it's like Prince, but like it has like small letters and then it's like takes up like majority of the screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of big deal. Now, I, I don't know if, did you ever have the VH? VHS. I did. Because I used to watch the VHS at the beginning. They had like a little Looney Tunes short. Yeah, I remember. As kids, I really loved this movie. And I remember the Looney Tunes short. And I remember the, the Pepsi commercial where like Alfred like opens a Pepsi. And then I don't know why it just shows like the Batmobile like driving off in some leaves. And then he just yeah. like drinks his Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, I, I remember that commercial. They had even considered doing a Nike tie-in with the actual Batsuit. Oh, wow. The little swoosh on it. <laughs> I mean, at that time, Batman could have been rocking a pair of 
Jordans and he would have got away with it. Batman might have uh, actually stopped some thugs who were trying to steal Jordan back in those days. <laughs> yeah, right. It's really weird. Obviously, this movie kind of looked to the success of Star Wars and Ghostbusters and really killed it on the merchandising side. Of, as I said earlier in the podcast, it's part of the reason why Jack Nicholson made out like a bandit from this movie. You know, Warner Brothers committed to all this merchandise beforehand and I guess it all sold out for the movie even was released because they underestimated the popularity of Batman. I literally had, okay, pull up that DVD again. All right, so the DVD is this kind of like yellow, goldish, the Batman symbol. I had I had that as a poster in my room. Just the Batman symbol. That, I mean, I had the action figures, you know, I think the action figures and stuff came out a little bit more along with the Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Batman, but still, like, I remember I had the toy, the little Batmobile, and they had like, these two little things, you could push them down in the front and two little guns popped up. And yeah! Like, Dude, I remember that stuff. And then it was really, really neat. I know Star Wars really pushed the boundaries here in the late 70s, early 80s with what action figures could do, like ships and different stuff. But you could actually put your Batman figure in the Batmobile, yep. which was really cool. A lot of times, you know, like the tops wouldn't open and you just, you know, have to use your imagination that like, oh, Batman hopped in. You know, you're a kid. Here, you could actually like put him in and then like close the top, which was really neat. Loved it. Batman, it's so funny because he's one of those characters that like kind of permeates our culture. I think everyone kind of knows who Batman is, right? There's, you know, even as, as much as Marvel and the Avengers and all that, like people love the Avengers, but I'm like, I don't know. I think Batman to this day still kind of supersedes most of those guys. Spider-Man maybe is the only contemporary hero that people love as much as Batman. I think you mentioned earlier uh, something else that wasn't a tie-in, but did take direct in inspiration was Batman the Animated Series. Bruce Timm credits the film with encouraging WB to, to make the animated series. He said they were heavily influenced by the designs and the styles of the film in the animated series. Borrows so, some of the music. Uh, yeah, so I without think, it, I mean, we wouldn't have one of the brightest cartoons ever made. I mean, we're not reviewing Batman the Animated Series, but is season one oh, not we should just, be. isn't it amazing? Season one of Batman the Animated Series is just out of this world. It's so good. Even Mask Sorry. of Phantasm was good. Sorry to tangent everyone. I think what you're talking about here though is the art design of Batman. And 30 years later watching this film again, that is one of the things that stands out to me the most from this original. Oh, it's incredible. The pre-production, we were talking a little bit about it and I'll throw it over to you, that they create this almost like this separate but like modern world and somehow it works. Yeah, I just think it's crazy. It's like this hybrid between the 1930s when Batman was created, the way they portray the mob, the art deco style, even like the yeah, newspaper men in, in the paper, right? They're all very old school 1930s newsies. Yeah, they got the suspenders and like typewriters. Yeah, everyone's wearing hats and trench coats. Like, you know, you would in some 30s or 40s noir, yet it still takes place in the late 80s. And they create yeah, the this gangsters have that. Yeah, they have that almost like untouchables vibe. It, I don't know. It works. It works really well in keeping alive a sense of timelessness in this movie. Obviously, mm. they drive cars. There's certain elements uh, that we see from the time, like there's television. It's not that it's not modern, but it's just different enough that it almost feels like a different place like the way you had put it to me and I'll throw it over you is like you said like you couldn't go there like you watch The Dark Knight and you think I could go to that Gotham City. I could drive down those streets. This feels like you can't actually go there, but if you could, it's a real world in its own right. Does, you know, as far as like some of the set design, like the art design, when they're in the city, especially like, you know, on the steps of like City Hall and different, a couple different places, it does have a tinge of maybe a set vibe. 
it might feel a tad like a back lot, yeah. but for some reason it works. There's almost a consistency throughout that makes it feel real. Well, and Burton and his art designer, they said that one of their intentions was to create Gotham as the ugliest looking city ever. Okay. So yeah, where, they may have succeeded. So where most cities have a, you know, a style of architecture and they didn't want that in Gotham for this film. They wanted it to feel like just this ugly mess of everything. And they do it. The other thing too, that I know we've talked about many times, when you watch this movie, there's only like three kids in all of Gotham City. <laughs> and it's really unnerving. And you're like, yeah, no, this is a really strange, bizarre world. I mean, you have young Bruce watching his parents get killed. The, the kid, kid at the beginning. the beginning who watches his parents get mugged. And then you have the kid who's randomly there when the Joker shows up and that like pedo Joker guy like pats him oh, yeah. in a creepy fashion. He's like, like super creepy about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like there's no kids in this world. Very dark place. Everything about it, even during the day, has a gloominess to it. It never looks like anywhere you'd want to There's like leaves and trash everywhere. Yeah. Like you'd want to get out from this type of Gotham City. And that it makes sense because obviously they introduce all the major players in, you know, the Batman comics. You have Commissioner Gordon, you have Harvey Dent, you have, Mirror you know, Park. like Alfred. Yeah, you have all these people. There's this overarching, and this tends to happen in Batman, but this overarching theme of some inequality, like Bruce Wayne throws a party for all the rich people and yeah. it looks pretty nice. It looks like a sweet party. Wayne Manor's pretty cool. Also a little gothic, but yeah. still pretty cool. Then you go to the streets and it's like really dirty. I don't know. It works in a way that I think other movies fail to capture a sense of like grittiness or realness. Yeah. It doesn't feel cheap here. Like you just threw some actors and put dirt on them. You know, it feels real. It's actually, and then it's like the greatest sales pitch for the city of Detroit. Cause I'm like, I would actually leave Gotham <laughs> and move to Detroit. It's that bad. It's crazy. What do you think of uh, Axis Chemicals? Oh my gosh, I love it. It's so Batman-esque. I don't know where you find those places, but I like, I just want to go drive around and find a chemical facility that looks like that. I've like totally all the seen pipes it. and the vats and everything. I know it makes me think of like certain freeways on like Long Beach or like maybe yeah. up in like Fresno or something. I'm like, there's an Axis chemicals around here somewhere. So, and that's what I think of. But I mean, even, you know, I know in the comics, there have been some tellings of the Joker's origin story where he falls in a vat of acid. They do have that green acid here even like his hand like goes down in you're like oh god that was something that i liked axis chemicals as a place i think they go there to do corporate espionage or stage corporate espionage yeah is what they said they're like oh let's just fake it and then you know no one will know but anyway that's kind of the premise for why they end up there but it ends up becoming a major factor not only as a, a set but a plot point in the movie in that the joker later uses it taint cosmetic products and kill a bunch of citizens in gotham it plays a big role. Now, I wanted to ask you as, you know, somebody who actually has probably read way more Batman comics than I have, although I do read Batman comics, but is Axis Chemicals from this movie or is that part of like Batman comics? I don't know far enough back. I think that it pre-existed. Okay. Like audience, if if you know that as a fact, let me know because I am curious myself. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I was just wondering if it if it wasn't, I mean, after this, like if they wanted to put Axis Chemicals in the Dark Knight or they wanted to put it here, I'd be like, yeah, that's part of Batman lore now. I do know that this movie was the first one to change lore and create a story where the Joker was responsible for the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Okay. That is directly a result of this. The comic version is much closer to Batman Begins, correct? Yeah. In fact, it's Joe, uh, Joe Crow is the guy who killed his dad. Yeah. Okay. 
I like it to an extent that it ties the two characters together, but it does seem kind of chancy story-wise that like Jack Napier, later the Joker, would be responsible for Batman's death. They both kind of created each other. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. he even says that, doesn't he? When they're on like Clock Tower, I think he's like, we both created each other. Yeah, I mean, my bigger issue is there's a part in this movie where Alfred lets Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Alfred, you have one job and it's not let anyone in the Batcave. What are you doing? Slipping up? And he should know better because she's a reporter. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's just so weird. And I'm like, that is so It's not like, it's just so, it's like, it's Bruce Wayne's love you're like no she's gonna totally report on all this so big fail alfred you know they're trying to solve the batman case they want to get in like greenpeace (laughs) (laughs) but something else story-wise that i wanted to ask you about is spoiler alert if you haven't seen batman uh at the end of the movie the joker dies what did you think like appropriate ending i mean on one hand both versions of these jokers i was like i wouldn't be opposed to it just because they're murdering psychopaths but at the same time did close the door on another joker appearance but then again back in those days you didn't see it as like a franchise yeah the same way I think we do now where we're like, oh, no, like don't kill them off because we would love to have them back. You know, back then, I don't even know if they had ideas for a sequel until this one had already come out. I think you're right. It's almost like a very MCU concept of like, well, keep them around and have them pop back in in the 49th movie that we do. Back then, this was probably perceived as a one-off Batman movie. You know, we make a couple million dollars and that's it. So it feels sort of un-Batman-like, something so definitive with the Joker just because 80 years of Batman comics, you know, we don't ever see Batman decisively beat the Joker in any way. So that is a little Yeah, it was to me, I don't know, it was a little jarring, especially now knowing what we know about not only comic book movies, but, you know, just how that history has kind of evolved. I think our definitive ending is the one we get in Dark Knight where he's like, we're destined to do this forever. And that's kind of how we think of Batman and Joker is that as long as they're both around, they're going to be pushing each other's buttons. Yeah. But I don't remember when I was a kid finding that odd at all. I didn't either. Yeah, I kind of just accepted it. Was You're like, like oh, bad guy he fell and died dude even at the end he's like stomping on those bricks like total douche (laughs) you know he's the joker man i do love this scene though after the batwing comes in and and steals the balloons and he's like my balloons and then when batman comes back through he pulls out the revolver but it's super long it has a a really long barrel i'm like such a great like joker moment right there i'm like yes that's exactly what the joker would do no and then the gun's like incredibly powerful it takes down the batwing yeah i think one of my favorite moments in the movie is i love when they're at the art gallery the joker and vicky vale are talking at the table and then he like says his one line and then you just hear the glass shatter and batman drops down and the music's like and like it just like kicks in and like batman has his freaking thing and he like points it at the joker's face and then he like zips out and you're like oh this was amazing i always love this scene i feel like this is just filmmakers having fun now but like when he's standing <laughs> he's like standing there and the batmobile is like coming right at him and he's like stop and then it, like, oh yeah stops, and just, like, <laughs> like literally i'm like oh man that almost took out your shins batman <laughs> yeah that, that would have looked really stupid if it didn't do that i mean listen we've heaped a lot of praise on this now i think one of the areas that is slightly disappointing given the evolution of comic book movies and specifically Batman movies. I mean, go watch Batman v Superman. Go watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Go watch the Dark Knight trilogy. And then watch this. 
the stunts do not in any way compare to what has come since then. Even to the point that like when the Batmobile like shoots out that little grapple to help it turn the corner sharper, like oh, it's yeah. just, it's so slow. And I'm like, eh, I mean, did you, did you really <laughs> need the assist on that one? Just turn the wheel a little harder, man. I think he got it. Yeah. I mean, I could see that obviously, you know, we've praised set design, art design, the story, obviously characters and the music. Yeah, I think maybe stunts. And then there's a certain element of, I don't feel like Bruce Wayne, the character gets explored a whole lot. He's very one-dimensional. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of conflict other than just like trying to hide his identity from Vicki Vale. I think it's something Nolan does so well in the Nolan trilogy where we start to see the personal strife that Bruce Wayne is under, you know, trying to live a life as Batman. There's one scene, there's one scene, it's after dinner in this movie where they're like sitting around a kitchen and Alfred tells a story about Bruce as a kid and that's about as much exploration of that character as we really get you know I love the demeanor but I mean even when like Vicky Vale comes down into the back cave he's still somewhat pretty cold he's not you know I think she responds in kind she's kind of like oh I thought we were closer than that he's like no not really yeah sorry like I like you a lot but I'm Batman so no that was one element that stood out to me is the actual character of Bruce Wayne didn't get a whole lot of exploration you know he goes to the theater and drops off the flowers and there's the origin story which at this point is fair I think now we've seen Batman's origin story on film a number of different times four five maybe yeah it's like we got it in this instance it's warranted because i don't know if everyone was familiar with exactly what his origin story was but they just don't really explore it it's almost like it's in the movie only to make that connection with the joker rather than any sort of actual exploration of bruce's psyche or character it's like yes he has a tragic backstory and it connects him to this guy and i just felt like yeah maybe you could have explored it a little bit more like and batman begins does it who is bruce wayne does he want to kill this guy how does he build his yes. code they do all that yes. that's what i was looking that's what I'm getting at. And yeah. they do it in another movie. But here, they don't explore any of that. They just kind of, it is, and this is what. Well, and one of the criticisms that you read about the movie when it came out is people felt that Burton was much more focused on telling the Joker story in creating mm. the Joker scenes than some of the Batman scenes. And they're like, well, Batman feels a little flatter. His motives, his origins aren't as exciting as the Joker story in this movie. I mean, this is a movie about the Joker. And that's kind of what I was getting at is I think Batman Begins is the actual origin story that Batman kind of deserves. Really explores his motives, why he doesn't kill people, why he even wants to fight crime to begin with. Why, you know, all of that comes into play. And now we understand the psyche of this character, Bruce Wayne and Batman. But in this one, yeah, I felt it was maybe a little flat. We just kind of have to take it as a given this guy wants to fight crime. It's probably because some thugs killed his parents, but yeah. you're left to kind of fill in the gaps yourself. That was probably, for me, something that stood out as a little weaker here. Because I even love in Batman Begins, I mean, there's the whole idea of Bruce Wayne, like, right, they're going to release his parents' killer from prison, and he's like, I'm going to go kill him. Yeah. He doesn't deserve to be released, and he doesn't deserve to walk the streets. And you're just really exploring that psyche of, of who this person is. Otherwise, almost everything in the film works, though. You know, even like you mentioned, the stunts, while they don't hold up in a time grander sense, to me, they don't stand out as like so terrible. Or no, no, and I think at the time, you know, that was pushing the limits. So films build on the history of film. And so, yeah, that was a starting point and the jumping off point for later Batman movies. Uh, Sylvester Stallone has been ve- very outspoken about his hatred of this movie because he sees this as the death of the 80s action movie. Really? You know? 
Explore yeah, that. That's he said that Arnold, you know, Stallone, Van Damme, these guys were cast in movies because they had physical abilities that the average person did not. Okay. They were bigger, stronger. Oh, they had the martial arts. In Batman, we have rubber muscles to make anyone be a superhero. Interesting. Or, you know, I mean, two two years before this, two years before Batman came out, Predator came out, and no one else can fight the Predator other than Arnold, right? Yeah. It's got to be that action stuff. And so he, his thing was, he's like all these types of movies. You put a mask on him. So like, it doesn't even necessarily need to be the person. That's interesting. Especially given that entire eighties action genre, that criticism is not unwarranted because we don't, we don't quite get action movies like that anymore. Not like that. No, now we have have old Stallone. Like that's it. Yeah. Or we have like, you know, more like John Wick, real stylized action. Yeah. Uh, versus like the big hulking machine gun toting. Right. Which were so many of the 80s. Like that was a staple genre. Yeah. What's the, 80s, the other which... one? Jack Reacher. It's a lot of those. It's like that. Different. Still fun, but different. And the other thing, obviously, is this was the first look at a comic book movie through a darker lens, which obviously it seems like every five years or 10 years, we take a look at another property and they're like, oh, let's do it even darker. But this was the first one to do it. Before then we had- Can we acknowledge that I think Batman is often the conduit to go darker. We have this one, obviously then it goes super colorful and comic booky, but then Nolan kind of took Batman and, and comic book movies back to this realism, gritty, darker tone. And then you had Zack Snyder, fair or not. Batman versus Superman in the Justice League, darker tone. So I don't know. And it looks like the Pattinson one is going to be even darker, right? I know. (laughs) Speaking of, yeah, I'm excited for some more Batman. It's been a while since we've had a uh, kind of a solo Batman movie. Dark Knight Rises, 2012, 10 years. WB didn't put out one solo Batman movie in 10 years. That's wild. (laughs) I mean, even if you go, I bet if you went right now. Well, not true. They did put out Lego Batman. Okay, that's, yeah, live action. <laughs> I bet if you went and looked at people's most anticipated movies of 2022, a majority of people, even though there's some really great movies on the slate, I mean, I bet Batman's number one or two for almost everybody. I think it has to be. I mean, it's honestly. Batman. It's Batman. Are you going to go at midnight? <laughs> uh, do they still do midnight shows? I'll probably go they, at like nine o'clock the Thursday yeah, night I know. and watch it. <laughs> They're like, it comes out on Friday, but really like you could start going at 6 p.m. on Thursday. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, early, early show. Yeah, no, I'll be there because I definitely want to see this one and i hope this movie delivers i'm excited you gotta give you gotta give all the mad props back to the original batman i mean so much of what we associate with that character came out of this movie in terms of live action adaptations of the comics okay i mean we're pretty much back at the original point of the episode yeah i gotta ask you do you think that this movie still holds up uh yes i do and i want to attribute that a like i said it has a classic batman score it's a score that we associate with batman whether the new movies use it or not I mean, it just is. Yeah. And I think the animated series helped that. But generally speaking, the score works. But I I have to give a huge tip of the cap to the art direction and the set design here for creating a world that stands apart from just the 80s. You know, I feel like an example of a film that feels like it takes place, it's the 90s, but takes place in that 80s era. Big city is like Ninja Turtles. Mm, It is, it feels like a product of its time. Yeah. And here, I feel like they just do such a good job of making a world apart that this movie seems, it, it seems to have a timeless classic to it. The performances were awesome. I think Tim Burton was able to take a look at some comic book lore and see how to translate that to the big screen, which just hadn't been done a whole lot. Really, yeah, mad props. I think the movie holds up. I love it. And I had a blast watching it. 
Fair enough. I would agree with the caveat that I mean, as so often we bring up with some of these older movies, I don't know that 12 year olds now are going to have the appreciation for it when they can go and watch something like The Dark Knight or, you know, The Batman or Batman v Superman. There's more flash. There's more explosions and CG and stunt work. And it's a faster paced take on Batman. However, I will say, I think that we owe everything in cinema now from this MCU standpoint standpoint from these, you know, billion dollar superhero franchise to really what Burton did in 89. I mean, this is in many ways the building blocks of all the movies that are the tentpole films coming out this year and for the last 10 years, like we owe it to Burton. So I think we need to see it. And I think about it from this way. I'm going to make sure that when my kids come of age, the first Batman movie they see is going to be this one so they can appreciate it for what it was and understand the property of the franchise as it's evolved over time. Yeah, I do. I think Batman holds up. Batman's just an awesome hero. I can't wait. Like we said, we're anticipating new Batman movies, new iterations of the character, new people taking on the role. As fun as it is to look back, we also have a bright future for this uh, character in this franchise. So I'm pretty pumped. That does it. That's our episode this week. I wanted to thank everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you guys listening and be sure to continue the conversations. Leave us some comments, subscribe on all the uh, podcast forums and threads and everything. Keep the conversations going. We would love to hear from you guys on this. Again, we've done some movies before where I'm like, I don't know how many people have seen this, so watch it along with us. This is one where I'm like, I feel like most people have seen it, so everybody's going to have some thoughts. You should have. If you don't follow the podcast already, be sure to go to uh, filmmakerscompass.com where you can can find all our social media links and you can follow us wherever you are like i said when you go to the podcast directories subscribe to the show it helps us rank a little bit higher you know the algorithm pushes the show out a little bit more so if you want to help us out we appreciate it cp i'm gonna throw it over to you take us out thank you for hanging out and geeking out about batman with us on this episode i had a lot of fun d-man had a lot of fun we hope you did too in the meantime keep watching movies and we're gonna see you back here next week